Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate you being here. Join us on Twitter at Derek and Mike Pod or on our website, DerekandMike.com. My name is Mike. This is my boy, Derek. What's up, Mike? What's up, everybody? Hanging brother, how the hell are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm off this week, so I feel great. Wow. Well, you're feeling better than me. I'm not officially off. But I'm in the construction industries, and construction virtually stops during these holiday, end-of-the-year, cold, uh, rainy weeks, which is nice, because it's kind of like a break. I don't have to use vacation days, and there's very little work to do. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I don't. it's almost like I don't think really anybody works during this week, hardly at all, um, where they can help it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting a few calls here and there. It's very minimal workload. Uh, I like it a lot. And then also, we're going through a period of... Um, of of fucking more rain than we're used to in southern california we're getting a lot of rain right now um so combined with construction slow anyway during these weeks with a whole shitload of rain which no one here knows how to handle and you've got some very chill weeks uh in my industry in my part of the world so it's nice i'm digging it yeah so uh that's right this is the rainy season for in la area is in the winter we we normally get some rain around this time but we are getting crazy cold and way more rain than we're used to man it's been raining pretty steadily for the past two weeks we have another week or two of rain ahead of us and it's it's fucking rain rain it's not like california oh it drizzles for 20 minute rain it uh it's raining oh didn't they say i think that was the atmospheric river is that what they were saying there, there's an ap- atmospheric river or something who, who, i don't know i don't know who they are maybe they're not talking to me yeah, um, I heard it secondhand actually from somebody I follow, but uh. Uh, they were saying, yeah, it, no, it was kind of a mainstream thing about an atmospheric river. And then what they said was um, somebody else I follow said this is a prelude to glaciation, uh, like when like we're, glaciers we're all freeze, like it's going to rain a lot and freeze us all into a big glacier. I guess. I don't know. Cool. I don't really understand it, but. Well, that'd be fantastic because that means a whole bunch of really cool things from this era will be preserved for like, you know, our next, uh, when, when whatever little ice age we're in will, will be gone maybe, you know, thousands of years from now or something, tens of thousands of years. And then they'll find like, they'll, uh, they'll find my new, uh, Google pixel six pro phone and it'll be all like cool and, and, uh, uh, an artifact that they can enjoy and learn a lot about our civilization during this time because we'll all be preserved in a glacier. Nice. But if you're not there to observe it, does it happen? Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, we certainly find artifacts from civilizations that lived 10,000 years ago, and we find it, uh, and they're certainly not around to know. If a tree falls in a forest and nobody's there to hear it, does it actually make a sound? Uh, yes. Oh. So definitive on that. <laughs> I mean, sound is reverberation, right? So a reverberation happens whether someone's ears are there to receive it or not. Could be. Um, have you heard of the double slit experiment? Uh, no, 
No, I could make a, a gross sex joke, but I won't. Tell me more about the double slit experiment. Oh, <laughs> uh, I love it. Okay, so the double slit experiment dealt with photons, and what they did was they they put up like a piece of cardboard about four feet from a wall, and they shot photons through this cardboard through through two slits that they created in, in the cardboard, like maybe like one inch. And another one was about an inch away, another inch. Okay. And they, they shot photons through the double slits. Huh. And when they looked, when, now they tried to determine which slit each photon went into in, in order to um, uh, measure it. So they had some kind of measuring device looking at the cardboard as the photons were shooting through the double slits. Okay. Now, when they were looking... Then the photons went through the slits, through one slit or the other slit, as, as a finite particle, like as an actual particle, physical particle of matter. Okay. When they did not observe it, they realized, they, they found out that the photons were not materialized as an independent particle, but instead they existed as what they can only describe as a probability field. Because what happened when they went through the two slits on the background of the wall, there was an array of photons that hit the back of the wall. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, kind of like, I don't know how to describe it, but a like zebra a pattern. blast or whatever. Yeah, kind of, well, ki kind of like, well, it's actually more like a zebra pattern, but yeah, you can oh, think oh, of because it. because they went through the slits, so they were all lined up uh, in, in line with the, the, the slits. Well, no, it, it, it wasn't, it, the only way they can describe that it went through was as a wave, a probability right. wave, because what was on the other side of it was reflective of waves going through okay. the slits. And that's how sound travels, to, to my understanding, is like waves. Now, when they observed it, though, they hit definitive spots. They only hit one of two spots on the back of the wall. All right. So what's the difference between those two experiments is that one was observed and one was not observed. So the so, observer inf caused a difference in the actual physical experiment, what seemed to be outside of the observer. So a human observer, right? Not like a, a computer with a microphone or the recording device um, recording these photons being shot through the slits. If a human was there, they went through the slits. If a human was not there, they did not go through the slits or there was nothing to observe. Well, it could have even been recorded beforehand through a recording device and then observe later but at some point a human has to observe it well okay so you set up a uh like a microphone recording device in a forest and then leave and you come back later and you pick it up and you listen to the tape you'll hear things and it'd be like you know animals farting trees falling wind blowing all these sounds that occurred that the microphone picked up while it was laying on the floor in the forest, but no human was around to hear any of that, but it still made noise and the microphone picked it up. There, there's actually, I know you're not going to believe this. I don't. Already, I don't. I know you don't. Well, th this is a, that it's a proven experiment though, that the observer huh. does yeah. affect the, what we quote unquote call the external world. I mean, there, there's no huh. getting around the double slit experiment. And it's one of the basis 
of quantum mechanics and quantum physics huh. is is the double slit experiment. It's not conjecture. It's not theory that that this experiment's been run many many times, huh. and they've they've even reproduced it with uh, larger particles that they call buckyballs, and their um, actual mo- you know molecular size. And I think they've even produced it with something even a little bit larger. So the the question is, do things exist in a physical state when we're not observing them? Or do they exist in a probability state? Does does everything exist that way on a certain degree? And yeah, we can say um, in the in the minuscule world, because it almost seems as if things at the atomic level or at the um, microscopic level. Uh, behave in a different uh, way according to different rules of the universe than they do um, when we're not observing them. But um, Hmm. no, it's a very interesting experiment. And then there's, there's another one too um, where they can somehow when they, they create a photon or they create a photon and then um, they're, they're, connected and they can shoot one photon down one direction and they can shoot another photon down in in another direction. They can measure those photons. And when one of them turns, the other one turns instantaneously at the exact same time. And Einstein called that spooky action at a distance. So that's another principle of quantum physics or quantum mechanics. Wow. That kind of stuff is is crazy, and I'm not uh, well read or maybe even smart enough to really wrap my mind around it. I I, I would be interested to learn more about that experiment because I'm not really grasping it right now, and and I think part of it is a roadblock of of my way of thinking, and I just can't get around the the unmistakable logic of um, sound not being dependent on our ears receiving the sound. Like, like the recording device thing. I can't, I can't get past that. You know, it's like, okay, cool. So I'm not in the forest to hear the tree fall, but we could easily leave a recorder recording device in the forest. I could leave, come back later and get it. And it would record the sound of a tree falling. So the answer there is obviously, yeah, the tree made a sound. No one was around to hear it. It was recorded. There's the sound. You could play it back. You know, uh, I have trouble getting around that like that. That seems just so simple and obvious, but there are some experiments like the one you're describing that, um, prove some pretty incredible things. Yeah. And, and I, I generally agree in the sense that like, if you did put, uh, a microphone out there and, and a tree falls, then the reason I think that there would be sound there, because I do think that it has to do with consciousness and it doesn't necessarily only have to be our consciousness, but I do think that every person's consciousness is intermingled into this quote unquote, what we uh, interpret as an external reality and our consciousness helps create that reality. It ha- it actually has a job in part of the creation of this reality. And that's the only way that you can kind of explain the double slit experiment is that if you look at it, it behaves one way. If you don't look at it, it exists in a p- complete probability field. So to me, like that smacks of human, like, like uh, humans, being the center of everything as if like, Oh, if I'm not here, nothing exists sort of thing. And there's probably more to the thinking than that, but that it just, it feels a little bit um, like human elitist to think that we're so pivotal to everything that, Oh, nothing could exist if I'm not here to observe it. 
And I guess I always fall back on, I don't think we matter, or I certainly, I don't think I matter or anybody really matters. And it's like, yeah, everything will be exactly what it is if you were gone or if you were never born or if you just went home, everything would still be the way it is without you. Uh, see, I don't see that as human. I, I, I think it's consciousness. I don't think it matters what kind of consciousness it is. Okay. I think it's it could be a human. mouse conf- consciousness. It, it could be even well, a bacterial consciousness potentially oh. but the so thing the, is the woods thing like so if i leave a recorder in the woods and i'm gone there's still like a squirrel laying there and when the tree falls the squirrel hears it so the sound exists is that kind of what you mean yes and no uh yeah okay. yeah i i do i mean and i'm not saying that the the tree falling in the forest is is really a, a good example of that because we're not talking at the quantum level like this has been proven at the quantum level Whereas sound is not at the quantum level, but it's still that, uh, that koan, does a tree fall, in, if a tree falls in the forest, does it actually make a sound? That is the basis of, I mean, that still is the same principle as quantum mechanics. Okay. But um, it's at the, the uh, macro level. That's what they call it. So the, uh. ma- the macro level, they know behaves, supposedly behaves differently than the microscopic level in quantum mechanics, but... The question is, does it really, or is it that with a photon, there actually is no, um, no consciousness is there to observe it. And if there truly is no consciousness there to observe it, then it exists in a probability field. So the bigger picture of what that brings in is that potentially every consciousness that's alive on this planet has a quote unquote agreement about how we expect the world to operate and that agreement of that each consciousness holds about the expectation about uh, how the world operates is in fact what causes the world to operate in that manner to a, to wow. a degree. I do believe that. I'm in over my head here. I'm uh, I'm in a very stupid state i think right now like i'm extra lazy i think the cold weather and the slow work and the rain uh has made me stupid so uh, literally i'm listening to all this just going like yeah i'm, I'm not even qualified to <laughs> engage in this conversation your world's ahead of me i'm going to take your word for it you've clearly given it a lot more thought than i'm capable of giving it well it, it's um it's a difficult concept to grasp because you know we we try to interpret it logically but it can't be interpreted logically and there's actually some experiments well you know that well you know the double slate experiment is not a thought experiment that is actually an experiment that's that's, been done for 40 50 years but it's a thought experiment to contemplate it right to to think about what it means or what what that might uh say i mean have they figured out exactly why it does that or is it still an anomaly no well you know the thing is is that um Nobody has really come up with a very good reason for it, except for one person that I've read. And it's uh, the book called Biocentrism by Dr. Mm-hmm. Robert Lanza. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of that book. I think you yeah. brought it up, but I have heard yeah, about it elsewhere. I have brought that up before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. All right. Yeah, and Man, and in are... there, in there, he just he talks about that the fact that um, he's a molecular molecular biologist by trade. And he says that basically it's the uh, consciousness that creates the universe and it's not the other way around. We didn't just fall into this matter. 
And it's, it's difficult to, to grasp because we don't see the world that way at all. Uh, but I do think that we can in certain ways. Huh. You know, I've, I've heard one that I don't know if it's along the same lines or anything, and maybe it demonstrates my, uh, my uh, lack of uh, deep thinking. But it makes me, it reminds me of it, so I'm going to say it, is the idea that everyone may see color differently and that we could say, okay, yeah, red is red, but if you see red as blue, then you would always think that red is red. But to you, it means something entirely different. And there'd be no way to describe that to someone else um, because you would point to uh, something that's red and say, yeah, it's red. And I would point to something that's red and say, yeah, it's red. But maybe we're seeing two entirely different things. Yeah, and, and that could help explain like why people see uh, different colors as their favorite color. Maybe we all have the same favorite color as blue. I, certainly blue is my favorite color, and I don't understand how somebody can have a different favorite color, but maybe that's how they see it. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, no, I've always thought that's kind of interesting because you could say like, oh, well, I mean, obviously I could say no, what you're seeing as red is actually blue, but how would I know? Because I'm seeing it as red, you're seeing it as red. Um, but I don't know, it could mean something different to everyone. And that one always kind of gets me to a thing where it's just like kind of, uh, my, my expression glazes over and it just loses you deep in thought like, oh, that's that's deep, man. That's deep. Maybe that maybe that's something. You, you want to go down the rabbit hole a little deeper? Oh, yeah, yeah. Drag me. Okay. So... I'm going to get these numbers wrong, but the gist of the uh, point I think I can make here. So physical matter is like a very small percentage of the electromagnetic spectrum, right? So the electromagnetic spectrum essentially represents everything in the universe. So physical matter is a very small percentage of it. I think we can kind of grasp that. And then, um, and I, I want to say maybe 2% is, is the number I'm landing on. Okay. Now, visible light, the amount of the metro electromagnetic spectrum that visible light occupies is like 0.02% mm. of the universe. So you got to ask yourself, okay, so how do we perceive? We perceive through our five senses. Some say it's six if you, if you include thought or maybe touch. So if you were to... Um, think about you only see 0.02% of the universe with your eyes. We think that we see the entirety of the everything, but in reality, we're only seeing 0.02% of what's actually in front of us as human beings. And I don't think that's, that's so far fetched. Huh? Well, no, I agree. I mean, when you think of like light spectrums and all that, how like different animals see different light spectrums. So they're able to see like, I don't know, better, in the dark or in different lights uh, or I don't know, depths of the ocean or whatever, like different animals are able to see different, um, different light spectrums. Then there's obviously a whole lot more out there to see things that we can't see. Um, and that's gotta be the case in all sorts of different elements, things we can't sense or feel or all sorts of other things that other animals or other beings are able to do. And even things that maybe no animal or being is able to sense or feel or, or uh or capture so yeah i think there's a whole lot more to the world we live in than what we're able to actually see and measure and interact with or that we're even aware that exists and if you think about it like our senses have provided us enough tools to be able to navigate things that can destroy us that can harm us 
So our senses have a range of perceptibility that is within the range of m most things that can destroy us, <laughs> that can take us out. And I think most creatures op operate like this too. Like you're saying, you know, you have like a, um, a snake who can, you know, smell infrared or they see infrared and they can see heat mm -hmm. very easily. Well, right. they need just it, it, the ones that didn't see heat didn't survive. Right. Oh, yeah, because I, they, I totally believe that's all evolutionary. Yeah. That, that it's not like, Oh, um, we have this to survive. It's no, you have survived because you have this. And this is something that, you know, has, has evolved over, over many, many, many generations to where, yeah, like you said, the, the snake that sees more of an infra, uh, an infrared imprint, uh, lived longer to have more babies. And eventually that trait, uh, expanded and proliferated the whole basis of just the, the, the general principle of evolution for sure. Now take ants. Have you ever done this with ants? You ever had ants on a counter top in your kitchen? Uh, yeah. I mean, just kind of smush them with my fingertip. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Do they see you coming before you smush them? Uh, I don't know. I've never seen one run away. If I try to smush them and miss, they certainly, uh, evade. They, they move faster. They try to move away. They don't just mindlessly go about their business in their same path. Because, uh, you know, the way ants move usually is um, some scout ant that finds food lays down like a, a scent path for the other ones to follow. And that's why they all travel in like a big uh, army marching row. Yep. Um, but when you find some like rogue scout ant alone out there trying to find food, um, he's normally just kind of cruising at a normal speed. And then if you touch him or put something in front of him or mess with him in some way, he usually begins to uh, evade, move move differently, move faster. I don't know if he's panicking or if he's just, you know, uh, just reacting, but they certainly react. I don't know if they can see you or not. I don't know that ants have eyes. I don't, I'm not an ant expert. So, yeah, and they, they only react after you have um, done something to them, right? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, yeah, so they, they can't, they don't, I, I've tested the experiment. Certainly to me, it doesn't seem like they have any idea that you're there in a certain way. Right. And, you know, I think I may have brought this up before, but what makes us think that we're so different? You know, yes, ants can see 99.9% .9 of things that can destroy them. They are aware of those things so they can avoid having their life taken. But there's the one thing where they're walking up on your countertop and you can just smash them and really with no warning and only until after they're smashed do they start running. Who's to say that we're, that we don't have a big blind spot like that too. Mm. Yeah, I gotcha. Huh. And, and, and what makes us think that ghosts or aliens necessarily have to exist on the same plane that we're able to see. What if they exist sure. in a different plane, just like ants, ants can't see us. Ants may consider us ghosts. They might consider oh. us some kind of like a alien, you know, a I got squashed by some aliens. Ghosts is an interesting thought. You know, I know a lot of people believe in ghosts. I don't. Uh, and I think a lot of people believe in them differently for different reasons or whatever. But just the idea that uh, after a human dies, their soul lives on in some way, uh, maybe even in a way that you can interact with, maybe in a way that you can't interact with or you can't be aware of. Some people feel like they've actually seen ghosts. I know some people swear that. Um, but just at the most basic level, the idea that... Um, Human souls from people who have lived and died 
are still around in some way, I always come back to, goddamn, that must be a crowded space wherever they are existing because a lot of fucking humans have lived and died uh, since the beginning of humanity millions of years ago. And does that include, like, early humans or, like, even non-humans, like uh, the Cro-Magnon species of, of Homo uh, not erectus <laughs> or what, you know, how they're like, they're kind of people-ish, but they weren't quite people at that point. They weren't Homer erectus. They weren't humans. They were, they were Cro-Magnon, uh, or, or Neanderthals and, and all that kind of stuff. Like, are those souls still floating around? Like, man, there must be a fucking lot of them bouncing off each other. Cause there's been a lot of people. And, uh, if it does include Cro-Magnon and Neanderthal, like, wouldn't it include the, uh, the chimpanzees that, that, we evolved from before Cro-Magnon and Neanderthals and all of the, all of the, all of the measurable species in between those evolutionary states. Uh, where does it stop? And if it goes all the way back to, um, chimpanzees, then wouldn't it go all the way back to the, you know, um, fish or whatever they've traced evolution all the way back to. And then even like back to the, uh, the microscopic state that all life evolved from originally, like, where does where does it start? Where does it stop? And uh, how crowded is that party? Yeah, and you know this is one of those things that nobody can ever really tell you. And I think we've talked about this: is that we can go down that path, and nobody's going to be able to say this is definitively what it is versus this. Personally, I don't think that there is a start or a stop. I do think that there's an eternity. I think we're eternal in a way, and that this world, while this world has start and stops, that are soul in a way uh, kind of peeks in and out of different planes um that's just my theory you know but um and and i've had some experiences too that have corroborated that i won't start bringing up the past lives again because i know i know it's uh it's it's a far out there kind of um concept for people but i do believe that there are uh past lives and i do think that um you know, things just, I mean, who knows what happens when you die? Who knows what happens when you're born? Who knows where you come from, where you go? If you come and go anywhere, if it's just not your consciousness that uh, yeah. changes its perception. But I mean, the one thing is that that gets me is like, you know, no matter how many scientists explore the brain and try to understand the brain, they cannot locate the consciousness. Right. And we can't locate our consciousness either. It's one of those things that is just, it's the consciousness looking for itself. Like you can't, you know, you are a consciousness. It's like, that's the core bread and butter of what we are. Mm -hmm. And the consciousness can't look back in a mirror and see itself. Uh, nor can a, a neurosurgeon look in and find the consciousness in any part of the brain. Right. So it's kind of like, well, what, what is the consciousness? You know, I don't know. It's a, it's a beautiful question in itself i think yeah yeah and i think that freaks some people out that unanswerable sort of a question that that means so much but is so unanswerable that i think that's the basis of a lot of um uh dogma where people will start making up elaborate stories or or answers to those unanswerable questions and uh, i think in a lot of ways that has to do with a lot of um religious foundational thinking and, and that sort of thing. Um, e even all the way back to mythology, which mythology is only considered mythology because it's older than what we currently, than the predominant current religious 
way of thinking, but really no, there's no difference between thinking like uh, Zeus is responsible for thunder versus some of the religious thinking that, that goes on now. I mean, in 10,000 years, the religious thinking we have now will probably be considered mythology, you know? Um, but I think all of that exists because of the human need to answer questions or the human fear or discomfort with unanswerable questions. Um, I think, and I'm a little bit weird where I really like those unanswerable questions. I like not knowing. I like just kind of going like, yeah, that's a crazy one. Who knows? Well, maybe I'll find out one day and maybe I won't. I don't know, but I'm going to live and die whether I care or not. So, uh, I don't know. We'll see. I'm fine with it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't have, well, how would I frame that? I don't have enough fear to where I'm like, I need to know the, well, yeah. I, I I'm did okay not knowing. Yeah. I, I mean, I did want to know for quite some time and I feel like I've got to the point of exploration where I realized that you're just ne- never going to know. Like I exhausted those paths completely. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, in a certain sense, you know, I'm not out looking for, um, what those answers are right now. Oh, you, do you feel like you've made as much of an effort as you could possibly make to answer those questions, at least for yourself? And you've, you've traveled that road and now you're comfortable with wherever it led you and whatever you were able to learn and now comfortable with knowing that you'll never entirely know everything. And now you're like, cool. I, I, I took a stab at it. Now I'm down. I'm just good with what I know. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I feel like, uh, cool. Yeah, most of that, like, well, you know, that was one of the things that got answered for me. And I would say like a a long meditation retreat that I did. It was that one meditation retreat that um, during your wedding. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, That was Mexico, right? No, that was in L.A. But um, that was basically... uh, I felt like I ran into a wall running full speed and I'll never want to do that again. (laughs) And even though, even though that sounds like um, a waste of time and like I could have just avoided running into that wall at full speed, I, I had to. And um, through that experience, it answered a lot of questions that I have, I think. Okay. All right. Well, that's cool. Or, or maybe made it, uh, not necessary to continue asking certain questions anymore, which is a nice place to arrive also. Yeah. Yeah. And and that, and that urge to ask those questions was brought about by delusion of, and delusion is an incorrect understanding of the now. So like, if we don't understand, if we don't see the now that we're living in the now, if we don't see that we, where we're at, in a proper way, uh, we live in delusion because we think that we can change circumstances in a way where we can't. And, um, yeah, hitting that wall was, was, uh, ultimately pivotal for me. Hmm. I don't right. mean, I don't mean to take the conversation in this whole direction, but we got way deeper than I was thinking. I'm, I'm feeling very shallow. Uh, and we, we got really deep and I feel like I'm in over my head. But it's fun. I don't care. It's just where the conversation is going. So that's where it's going. I don't feel like I need to change it forcefully. But I do feel like it's a, it's above my mental capacity at this particular time. I'm feeling stupid. I think I said that already. Maybe I didn't. I know. I'm feeling stupid. Well, I, I don't perceive that. I think you're carrying your side of the conversation just fine. So 
I don't really right. see it that way, but you know, I, I like this well. feeling. I like this around the holidays when I, I, I feel like it's a break for me, uh, mentally, physically, uh, everything. I just feel like the holidays is a nice time just to kind of simplify, focus on family. Uh, work for me is, is fortunately slow. So it, it affords that opportunity to kind of just take a step back. Um, and, and, I don't know, dude. I almost feel like I kind of recap the year we just had in a way and, and ponder ideas or plans or, or goals for the, for the coming year. But I'm in this kind of like purgatory in a good way where it's just kind of like, all right, so this year is over. There's nothing more I can do for this year. Next year is around the corner, but I really don't feel like working or thinking about it yet. So I'm just kind of chilling. I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of in the uh, calm before a storm sort of a mindset. And I like it. It's a particularly happy place for me to be. So I'm chill. I'm letting my brain go into into cruise control. And I think that's what I mean by by saying I feel stupid is I'm 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 allowing myself to relax in a stupid state. And I like it. Yeah, I feel like that, too, especially during this this whole week. Um, and it, yeah. it helps, too, because I feel like the whole kind of maybe not the whole world, but at least in our immediate vicinity or in the u.s you know everybody's kind of just like yeah fuck it i'm not doing shit <laughs> so yeah. it's like because everybody else is relaxed too it lets your own guard down too and i'm just like it's nice yeah i'm relaxing too and i and i feel i i do that too like that's part of my daily routine i always like kind of like check in with my body and say like oh how am i feeling oh just just relax just relax yeah. you know and that, that's what i just continually try to do really especially now it's just it's so comforting yep yeah no it's 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 part of my it's one of my favorite things of the holidays and it's something that's always been one of my favorite things like before i had kids now i think my favorite part of the holidays is um is seeing christmas and the holidays through my kids eyes which is fucking magical i mean it's so fun and um i still have my own personal uh, enjoyment of the holidays, which has always been just this, you know, kind of chill, stupid state. Um, but now I have this whole, this whole new appreciation and love of the holidays, maybe a renewed appreciation and love from the, of the holidays that I used to have when I was a kid, lost it when I became an adult. Cause I didn't care about the Christmassy part of Christmas. I like the, the chill, um, kind of state that we go through here during the holidays. But now with kids, dude, it is, a whole new game and I love the holidays in a way that I've never I've never thought I would and like as lame as it sounds like the magic of Christmas and all that kind of fun stuff like I'm so all about it I'm so into it I love I love infusing my kids with it and enjoying it with them and through them it's just it's the coolest thing ever man I'm having so much fun with it yeah I know what you mean too I'm the same way just watching her you know getting her everything that she wants and uh spending more time with family so yeah you know it's well, dude, just playing with toys with them like we, we i don't know if you guys over buy we overdo it every year we kind of we even with birthdays like we we have a real uh opinion about buying too many gifts for kids think it spoils them and that sort of thing and then we go out and we buy too many gifts for our kids um we try to temper that excess by uh spacing out the toys like we'll give them a billion toys on christmas for example and then we kind of put a lot of them aside and bring them out one by one or in smaller groups to be able to enjoy them more, more uh, individually and even space them out over time. 
to where later on we might bring out a toy they got for Christmas that we kind of had in the, on the back burner a little bit. We're not taking it away from them. We just kind of put it on the back burner a little bit, and then we'll bring it out at a later time. And, and we try to, like, space out the enjoyment of individual gifts, um, which I think makes each one of them a little more special, you know? Because when you just get everything all at once and you're sitting in just a pile of toys, none of them really mean anything, you know? Yeah, yep. I know what you mean. So we do give a, f a shitload of gifts, maybe more than we should. I don't know, but I think we do an okay job of spacing out uh, and and individually enjoying each gift. And I love playing with the toys with the with the boys, man. I love like I'm fully immersed. We don't. I don't just give them toys and then sit back and watch adult TV. Like um, when we were doing Christmas, we spent an entire day on gifts. Um, so we opened up and you know they come downstairs and and everything's staged. As if, uh, you know, because obviously Santa came and Santa did the whole thing. So it was just amazing to see what happened to the living room overnight. And there's toys everywhere presented in, a, in, an, in an amazing spectacle. And then we just kind of let them feel around the tree and, and kind of pick out what they want to do. And, and uh, uh, my older boy is able to, uh, he's not able to read really, but he can see whose name is on what tag probably by the first letter or whatever so he can say he can see which ones are for him and which ones are for others and so he would go through and see oh this one's for me you know and pull that one out okay cool so we'd open it up and at his age he's almost three he wants to play with everything immediately you know which i love so he would open up a gift and it's uh, a paint set or a play-doh set or something like that and he's like i want to play with it like okay yeah. so open up the box put it all together um let's play with it right now we're playing play-doh and whatever it is i just let him kind of drive that process and uh if it took all day it took all day and it literally did take all day we were still you know we opened a bunch of gifts play with each one of them stop for snacks stop for nap time stop for lunch stop for dinner and then even after dinner we had more gifts to open up after dinner it was just an all-day thing of opening presents playing with each one of them enjoying it and it was the greatest day ever it was so much fun yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, we um, definitely Esme made out like a bandit with Santa yeah. this year too, and um, Grammy and Grampy got her a uh, Dad and Debbie got her a, a driving Jeep. Oh, she, awesome! Yeah, when drives around on that, and so she was she she clocked about five hours on that in the first day. Wow. And then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's a little bit bigger for like a, a seven year old. So it's, I think it's, it was the largest one that, um, that they could find. Uh, so it was wow. kind of nice. Yeah. She, she enjoys doing that. So. So cool, uh, man. And that, and that gets around your whole, your property pretty well. Yeah. She mostly was running around in, in the front. Um, we have a pretty big driveway kind of like a, maybe you could fit like, I don't know, maybe 10 cars if you had to, but right. so she, she drove around there and then, and then in the wow. front yard and stuff around there. But yeah, that's so cool. I, I like watching her like learn how to drive too, because you know, she's learning how to back up and then, you know, sure. do a three point turn too, you know? So she was like really feeling uh, proud of herself because she knew how to do, she was learning how to do that stuff. And I think that's she's really, she's cool. a pretty good driver, but um, yeah, they got a lot of toys as well too. And, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not a big player. <laughs> like I don't play, everything with her so much but i like to spend time with her like on projects mostly where mm -hmm. i try to enable her to do it because she got this um this princess tent and you know she's kind of like well put it together 
I'm like, well, let's both put it together. So, you know, I, I wanted to challenge her to read the directions and then to figure out what to do next. And, and it was like, of course, when she got stuck, that's when I kind of stepped sure. in and everything. But sure. I kind of like that, that whole enabling her to be like a, an adult problem solver and, and, uh, yeah, no, that's the, the great skills to cultivate. And it's fun to watch your kid do that. And at her age, she can certainly, you know, get in and start putting pieces together, reading instructions and all that. So that's a lot of fun. Um, I like doing, I like challenging my boys. I can't not, they're not at that level yet, but I do like challenge, challenging them to try to figure things out. Um, and that's always fun to kind of sit back and just like, all right, how's he gonna, how's he gonna solve this problem? You know? Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's very cool. Um, but yeah, man, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a total player. I love playing. Like I can full blown, just get into some toys and we just, we get lost in, in imagination world and all that. And oh, I just, I love it, dude. It's right up my alley, but it's not for everybody, you know, not, not everyone's really that way, but it's really fun to set up things where, where it promotes that in the kids, which is really cool. Cause I think imaginative play is so, um, is so cool instead of just observational play where you're like watching a, a TV show or whatever, which I mean, all kids are going to do to some extent, but it's really cool when they're really challenged to like be imaginative and interactive and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's really fun to see kind of how they how they go about it and how they grow and how quickly they grow um, in, in, in that it's just super cool. Yeah, no, definitely. My, um, yeah, my wife does more of the imaginative play, but I, I like to watch it too, because it's almost like they have to get a little bit of bored in order to mm -hmm. do that or yes. in order to learn that tool. And it's like, okay, TV off. And then, you know, sometimes they get upset when that TV turns off, but then it's like, you give it some time and you let it, Passover, and then they're all of a sudden they're figuring out something to keep themselves occupied, and it's like, yes, that's exactly what you're looking for. That is a really uh, key thing to discover and get comfortable with because it's so easy to keep the TV on all the time, especially with things like YouTube and on demand. I mean, you can leave Netflix on and just play awesome show after awesome show for them, you know. So constant visual entertainment is so easy. Uh, that it's an easy trap to fall into. And we, and we did actually for quite a while um, fall into that trap of, of too much TV or too much tablet time. And um, we have now been, been really making an effort to limit screen time. And you see much more of what you're talking about where boredom breeds imagination, where they, they don't have to rely on their own imagination or their own creativity. If, constant stimulation is being shoved into their eyeballs. Um, so if you just let them get a little bit bored, they might get fussy or whatever. And if you just kind of go like, I don't know, man, uh, figure it out. Like here, there's some, there's a million toys here, have fun and take your hands off the wheel a little bit of constantly doing, okay, now color this and now build this and now play with this. Just kind of take your hands off the wheel a little bit, force them to figure it out for themselves. And then next thing you know, they're doing some really cool, creative, imaginative things. And it's just like, yeah, that's, that's what we need to develop more of. And once you see that, or once you get that, then, um, forcing them to do it, they get better at it. They enjoy it more. And that is a, a great place to be, um, to be a little bit more free of constant video entertainment and tablets and, and all that kind of stuff, phones and, and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, that's a really neat thing to discover. Weren't you telling me one time that I think Sarah likes the, the kind of toys and the um, things that 
are kind of creative and and uh, games and things that they can play? Or was I, am I imagining that? I don't remember that specifically. Sarah, I mean, her goal is always intellectual development. Um, and so the toys she picks out are always very age appropriate for what they're into and where they're at developmentally and uh, safety and, and, and intellectually. So she doesn't want to buy the baby stuff he can obviously choke on, and she's very conscious of that. And um, she always buys gifts that will promote certain things like um, progressive coloring ability or progressive stacking or building ability and that sort of thing, where I, I, I tend to just buy things that are really cool and really fun and maybe maybe a little beyond their age ability or or comprehension levels um and then we can play with them together and whatever we could build a puzzle that's beyond their ability and and i think there's nothing wrong with that per se but she's really good about getting something like okay this is perfect for the age he's at and she very often nails it she does a lot of research and 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 she subscribes to a few like mom kind of blogs or mailing lists or apps or whatever where they'll kind of give recommendations like, oh, at this at this age of two and a half, here are some things that they may be into. And pretty often they're 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 right on the money. And she's really good about getting things that are like, oh, okay, this is something he'll be really into. And sometimes I see it and I'm just kind of like, oh, that looks kind of lame. He's not going to be into that. And then he totally is and he's loving it. And it's perfect for his developmental uh stage right now. And I'm thinking, wow, she's she's on the money. She's really good at that stuff. Yeah, I kind of I, I followed like a, a thought pattern before where I was like, okay. You know, like back in the past when she was like five, it would I would see toys that would say like from seven to eight. I'm like, well, if I get her that, you know, she's going to learn quicker. Yeah. And what actually happens sometimes, though, is that like the cognitive ability is not there. Or something's not there and they get frustrated. And then you don't want them to get frustrated, not understanding because then they're like, what's wrong with me? Why don't I know how to do this? Right. You know, so it's like you got to get them like you're saying what she does, you pick the age appropriate things that they can handle and then let them play with those. Cause then they don't feel like, Oh, why, why can't I do this? And it helps get them to that stage of the seven to eight, uh, activity or whatever. But yeah, I'm, I'm quick to skip steps. And I was thinking like, Oh, my kid's smart. He can play with this thing. It's for three plus or whatever, but no biggie, you know? And, uh, I think you're right. I think, Maybe sometimes, sure, he can play with that. Maybe sometimes it's not the safest toy in the world, but he's certainly not getting out of it what he would get out of it is if we had given it to him when he was closer to the actual age. Um, you know, so that's, it's interesting. It's interesting to see that unfold. And it's cool, I think, that she is very attached to that awareness of developmental uh, ability and stages. And I'm so not because... I kind of like that every once in a while they're exposed to something that's a little bit beyond their age and I don't need them to be immersed in it or forced to use it or play with it, but it's there and they can dabble in it and then we can put it on the back burner for maybe next year or the year after. Um, so I think doing both is a good, is a good mix, you know? Yeah, no, it's true. Mm -hmm. It's interesting too, how like two people and their parenting styles uh, can be very different. And I think it's a good thing in a lot of ways where um, the kids get kind of, well, what am I thinking of? Like, I think even like um, progress, things like uh, my, my wife's very worried about my kids choking 
and rightfully so. A lot of kids choke, and it's fucking dangerous and deadly, right? Um, but I'm very uh, free about like, oh, no, he's really good about taking manageable bites and things like that. So this is just an example in a lot of different ways. But the the giving them freedom to eat on their own is something that I keep pushing for. So, like, I'll make him a plate of food, and I'll give him control of that plate of food. And he's kind of managing it himself, sometimes doing a good job of it, sometimes not so good. But in my thought, like, that's how he's going to get better at eating is by eating, you know. Um, Whereas my wife would be more comfortable feeding him individual bites for longer than maybe necessary because that's the safer choice. And that's that's nothing wrong with that. But I think the mix of me letting him do more than I probably should and her, you know, continuing to maybe uh, uh, baby feed him for a little longer than she needs to is a decent mix. You know, um, we, we kind of, we kind of have a good mix. If we were both holding him back, then he would be held back. And if we were both pushing him too far forward, then that would be dangerous, you know? So it's a good mix, I think. Yeah. You got to have that. You have to have, that, that's always a, a good setup where, you know, one person is a little bit, I mean, we all have reasons for why we do things. And I'm sure Sarah has probably in the past either seen somebody choke horribly, knock on wood, I hope not, or, you know, some, some along those lines where, you know, there's there's a reason for that fear that has happened in the past. And um, it's good for both parents not to be like that because, yeah, then you just feed into an echo chamber and you're just bouncing back and forth these fears. So it's like... Uh, yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's, it's great to have a little bit of amount of caution. I'm the more cautious and, and a lot in some ways, probably more, more ways than Megan is I'm the more cautious parent mm-hmm. of things. Um, and you know, she's, she's a little bit freer and yeah, you know, she, when she goes out with Megan, like they just went out and, uh, went to go walk a, a dog for this older lady and, you know, she's just, uh, she gets experienced life with her and then she goes out with me. She, she experienced, she gets two different point of views of life Yeah, that, you know, she has to, she can make a decision and pick and choose from either of those. Yeah. 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 That's, that's an interesting perspective. And, and yeah, I can just certainly relate to that. Things like my wife is very cautious of always has been way before COVID or anything, but always very cautious of like germs. And I wouldn't call her a germaphobe. I do call her that jokingly, but I don't think she's a real germaphobe. I just think she, you know, she thinks it's important to wash your hands pretty often and that sort of thing. And that's probably not a bad thing. I'm very not that. I'm probably a little bit dirty in the sense where I don't wash my hands as much as maybe I should. Um, And if I see my kids like drop something on the floor and then put it in their mouth, I don't freak out kind of like that, whatever kind of the old adage of God made dirt and dirt don't hurt. Like, you know, I just make them stronger. That sort of, that sort of thinking where Uh my wife will like, Oh, if the baby drops something that she will run and wash it before he's able to put in his mouth kind of thing. And, you know, I was kind of go like, Oh, come on, relax. He's fine. You know? And she's like, Oh, you're too relaxed. And I'm like, well, you're too, uh, uptight, you know, like, but the, combination or the exposure to those two uh, approaches is good for the kids because yeah like you said they can experience both and then as they get older they can they can find their own way instead of having both parents freaked out about washing hands and washing everything before you put it in your mouth uh, because then maybe they'll just become a little bit too neurotic or the other way both parents are dirty slobs like me and uh, 
and then they're just, you know, another dirty slob. They're never shown the other side. So it's kind of cool to have those different, those different uh, exposures. And it's great how opposites attract kind of like that too, because yeah, Megan, like I, I can't follow her rationale. I don't know if there is a lot of rationale and I don't mean that in a mean way. Uh, oh, she's you're just, paying for that later, dude. She, well, she's free spirited yeah. is what yeah. I was trying to say. She just like, she does what she feels, you know, and she, uh -huh. she feels what she does. She's kind of like that. And I'm much more calculating and, Oh, what happens if I open up this, this, uh, back gate is the dog going to run out? Oh, I can't open up, you know, where she's like, I'll open up the back gate. And I'm like, no, um, yeah. think of but, the consequences. Ah, the risk factor <laughs> is off the charts. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. And, but, but that balance, like she needs that balance. And I certainly need that balance from her because yeah. if I, if I didn't have that, man, it, how boring would my life be? Yeah. Yeah. And then how different would your daughter's perception of the world be? Yeah. Very true. Very different. Um, which, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I guess probably just one of the things of one of the factors in the importance of having both parents around um, is is uh, is that variety and exposure of life philosophies. Because um, if you're only raised by one philosophy, then you're you're so you're so limited in your exposure and options in that. And uh, yeah, I mean, you th when I never really think about it in so specific in such a specific way, but really thinking about it, like that's so important for development when you're figuring out the world, like you're learning everything, you know, you don't even know what anything is, let alone how you feel about it. So to be shown all these things and different ways of thinking them and interacting with them, that gives you a much deeper grab bag of options to choose from as you figure out who you are. Very true. And now that we live in Tennessee too, uh, there's a lot more extended family that we have here and yeah, like on Thanksgiving and cool. Yeah, yeah. Thanksgiving, like she got to hang out with her cousins and she, and she got to hang out with like her closest cousin, which is my, um, my brother's daughter, um, Gracie. And those, they were just completely inseparable. And then after like they hung out for a while together, then she hung out with like some of the extended cousins that are, that are a little bit older. And, you know, she was just, you know, the talk of the town, you know, she's, she wears these cute headbands and she's like super cute and she just gets all this attention and she just, she feels so comfortable like being around like extended family like that. And then I swear, like when we got home from that and she came, um, inside like she totally changed like she she's not scared to like go downstairs by herself and like feed the fish or something or she's not scared for me to like walk out to the man cave and then come yeah. back upstairs like she there was a mark a visible difference in her confidence level wow and that, that, that's, that's so cool yeah yeah that's where like a little bit more of the extended family came in and kind of like made her feel comfortable. And now her aunt lives close by here too, or my aunt, which is, um, you know, I guess what her great aunt and she takes her sometimes as well. And she's just, she's learning new perspectives of, of all these people. Uh, so it's really great to see that as well as, you know, we didn't really have that in California. We have my, my, uh, dad and Debbie were there and we'd see them but like, I don't know, just being, you know how LA is, is like, it takes two hours just to, it takes an hour just to get out of LA. And yeah. then, 
you know, it, and it's almost like driving from here to Nashville, which is like such a, a pain in the butt, but you know, um, she, I, I'm trying to say is that she did have that to some degree there, but not as not to the, the no, that's, that's amazing have. during these developmental years to have that kind of exposure to, um, family and not only different people and different ways of viewing life and interacting and going about life, but just the, the confidence building element of a big family and knowing that there's all these people out there who love you and support you and are interested in you and, and all that. I mean, that is, uh, so cool, um, that, that she has that now out there and just sounds like that's a great, a great place for you guys to be. Cause I know I grew up in a big family with lots of aunts and uncles, lots of cousins, and it was amazing. And, um, I guess I took it for granted because my wife, uh, her parents are immigrants and they came over here basically for school in the seventies and stayed here and built a family, but their entire family, all of their, uh, family members are all, uh, over in, in other countries. And, um, so she grew up with like no cousins and no aunts and uncles or anything like that. It was just basically her immediate family, her parents or her brother and herself. Um, and I never think about that, about how fortunate I was to have family around me. Um, but it's immeasurably important and, and not just important, like you have to have it, but what a neat benefit and advantage to have that. And it made me feel bad, honestly, for taking it for granted. I just assumed everyone lived that way, but of course they don't. It's different for everybody. Yeah. And, and it is almost like an immeasurable thing. Like you can't, it's hard to gauge and you don't, you're right. You don't really think about that until in retrospect and you're like, Oh yeah, I did have like a, a big extended family. And, and, and it's too bad yeah. too. Cause Sarah is a very, fam very family oriented person. Like she would, and I think her family, they strike me that way too, where they would like completely get together and have big family parties. If they, if they were all together, I can see that happening just because oh, huge. Her, her family is entirely like that. Even being separated by uh, half a world, they are still very connected um, to everything like weddings and, and births and all that kind of stuff. They're, they're a very connected family. And absolutely. If they were even, if they were within anywhere near driving or flying distance, they'd be getting together all the time. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're very much like that. It was just their opportunities or uh, ability to do so was so limited by distance that, um, it was just so different, you know, and I never really thought about it growing up. I just, you know, I just lived where I lived and had family all around me and like giant Christmas Eves and things like that. We would always go to my grand, my grandma and grandpa's house in Buena Park. And every Christmas Eve was just this enormous family get together with all the aunts and uncles and all the cousins and kids. And, and it was just a huge house full of family. And to me, it was just the way it was, you know, I never really thought twice about it, but what a fortunate way to grow up and what a, what a neat, uh, what a neat thing to have. Now do your and boys it, hang out with, uh, um, your sister's, um, son too? Uh, yes. Um, some, and, and dude, I, I, we, we really haven't done a whole ton of togetherness since the COVID thing, you know? So, I mean, yeah. we're of a different mindset than you are, but we do get together, um, but just not as freely as we would other than the whole COVID thing. Like, we really don't want our boys to catch it 
you know, we've, we've had some different experiences, people that we know that have had really bad complications by it, a few people who have died from it, and a lot of kids that have ended up in the hospital, um, that sort of thing. And I know the odds are low. I don't like fear getting COVID, but we just want to avoid it, especially for the baby, our baby. Um, so, I mean, I don't know, just different opinions of the whole pandemic thing have caused us to not be as free with family get togethers with certain family members as we would otherwise have been, you know? Uh, so it fucking sucks. Um, and I don't know, I feel weird describing that to you because I know you're of a totally different opinion on it. Yeah. But um, that has definitely been a factor in uh, deciding when and how to get together for us for a while. I guess I let the cat out of the bag on the Twitter account, didn't I? Uh, yeah, I think everyone knows where you stand. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to scale it back a little bit. I know uh, it's a... You know, I mean, what you're saying is fine. It, it does strike me as a little different than who you really are. Uh, you, you've just always been such an understanding person. And, and so, I don't know, sensitive is the right word, but thoughtful. And uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, I feel like a lot of people have, have gotten into a mindset of disdain for others in this whole situation. And I've certainly seen it. I've even felt it. Uh, from a lot of people in a lot of ways, but, uh, it just sucks. It's a weird shit situation kind of a deal. And, um, I don't know, I guess where I keep falling back on is everyone just kind of perceives it as different and making different choices, but we all just want to be together in some form or another. We all want to come through it regardless of how we feel about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, yeah, it might, I'm trying, I'm landing on the different than how you perceive me to be. And I, I think that, you know, I am a researcher. Like I, when I say that, like I, I look at the numbers, like back in the early, early days of COVID, I looked at the numbers and that was kind of my main go-to is like world a meter. Sure. And, you know, I came to find out that these deaths are not deaths of COVID or from COVID, but they're people that died with COVID, which uh -huh. is very different. And then uh, for the kids, uh, I think there's been, they categorize about 400 deaths total across the U.S. of kids that died, mm -hmm. what they say is from COVID, but it's actually with COVID. And the number of those that had pre-existing conditions were very large. And more kids actually die from the flu than from COVID. So I think that we're actually in a place where uh, this whole issue to me, this has been highly magnified yeah. and, uh, it's kind of like we put it under a microscope or a magnifying glass and then everybody's just kind of, uh, has a little bit of hypnosis, a little bit of COVID hypnosis. I do think on. you're right. No, I totally think. And even from someone who I, like, I literally choose not to see family very frequently because of COVID, I still think the odds of it, um, being caught or, if it is caught becoming a severe problem are super, super, super low statistically. Um, so I know that, and I know, uh, I, 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 I certainly don't think it's as likely of a problem as it's made out to be, or certainly as we're behaving, uh, 
you know, like to justify the behavior of like foregoing family get togethers and stuff like that. Um, the, the few cases I know of where kids have, I don't know any kids that have died. Honestly, I know several adults who have passed and several adults who have been like on death's door, like crazy sick. And then hundreds of adults who have just gotten sick and gotten through it with no problem at all. Um, but the, the, the kids I know of about it who ended up in the hospital, uh, like, I just don't want that, even though they'll come yeah. out of it fine. Like, I, I, I truly think they'll come out of it fine if they did catch it, you know? Yeah. I just don't I just don't want to see my kids in a hospital like that. And if I can avoid it, I will. I don't think we can truly protect ourselves from a virus. I think even mask wearing or, or anything, like, you can still catch it. Uh, I just feel like if there's moderate inconveniences that we can go about to reduce the likelihood of the kids catching it, then I'm all about reducing that. Uh, risk like we'll we'll try to avoid it i think is is where we've fallen at now we don't we don't not do anything uh we just do our best to try to avoid it you know yeah yeah I, where i fall back on is um how do you control a population uh, let me just postulate that to you through fear you control right. a population through fear and sure. that's that's what i see going on right now is that well, I think at its root, that's the basis of something like religion, which I, I personally see as the biggest mechanism of control in human history. And you create a story of uh, create a story that causes fear, like uh, fire and brimstone kind of stuff. And then that's how you would control people is because the fear is so inherent in the belief system that that you're promoting. Um, so, yeah, no, totally. That makes total sense that fear is is a is a solid basis of control. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's hard to break. It's hard to uh, get a macro understanding of all the micro things that I I tidbits of information that I learned. Uh -huh. uh, but I do think that that's what's going on when you look at um, Australia being locked down. You look at Austria being locked down. You look at uh, is it Austria where they're they're going to go door to door? Oh, no. UK. They were going to go door to door uh -huh. and threatening to inject people. Um, Austria, they're doing the same thing. Uh, Germany, if you're not vaccinated, you can't come out of your house. Um, same thing with, uh, you know, we've heard about, we've seen the concentration camps in, in Australia uh, or the videos of those. I, I think you may have seen that. Um, uh -huh. And the tens of thousands of people that, are, I mean, they're in a much worse place than we are here. But to me, um, this is this is a coordinated effort. And, um, you, you know, it's, it, it's part of like an exploitation of a situation, right? So like uh, COVID wasn't created to facilitate this level of control, but it's more of like, oh, hey, this thing exists. Now let's, uh, legislate to take advantage of it. Right. I'm on the fence with that. I think it may have been created. Uh, there's a video of Dr. Fauci saying that, uh, and this was back in 2015, he said, I am sure there will be a, an outbreak in the next administration. And then okay. if you listen to Dr. Peter McCullough, he, he's uncovered what he says. And, and he's an epidemiologist, cardiologist, but he reads, the, he reads uh, papers from people. And Event 201 was a coordinated event uh, that they did three months prior to the outbreak uh, about how they would handle a coronavirus outbreak. 
and uh, all everything leads to the vaccine is really kind of uh, what it comes down to eventually. And and huh. everything leading to the vaccine leads to a vaccine passport in which you cannot go and shop, go shopping if you don't have your vaccine passport. And if you decide that you don't want booster number eight or however many that they're kind of come out with, because certainly it doesn't seem like there's any end in sight and they don't certainly seem to be working the way that they've been explaining them that they do. Um, if you decide at that point you don't want to take it, well, too bad. You don't get to go in the grocery store. So to me, it it's uh, we're in more danger of the uh, control mechanisms that are being put into place um, that are being uh, fanned by the fears that they that they're giving to us too. Because yeah. Omicron, Omicron is a cold. They're explaining this as a cold. Like in South Africa, there's nobody that's dying from that. And then the media said that somebody died in a Texas hospital. They called the hospital. That was a lie. Like this is to me, this is a coordinated lie. And it's, and it's really hard for people to understand that because nobody really thinks that the media is purchased and bought, but we're talking about the largest corporations in the world that are towing the line for the richest individuals in the world who well, I do think that with with the Omicron deal so far, at least what we know about it or what I know about it so far, is it, it's looking pretty promising uh, to be a not very uh, aggressive strain or, or variant of this COVID deal, um, which is great, right? I even read an article, I think it was, oh, fuck, I think it was the New York Times, but I'm not sure about that. And it was basically citing some epidemiologists who were, who were saying that um, it would be a great thing if... Uh, Omicron was as as uh, not aggressive as it appears to be so far, and as contagious as it appears to be so far, because then that could that could expedite like the cycle of the pandemic. And basically, I think essentially what they're saying is that we will all get kind of sick sooner, and then we will be through it sooner. Uh, and I thought, well, that all sounds pretty great. Yeah, I mean, if this one is less uh, strong and it's that contagious, let's all just fucking catch it and uh be done with it yeah yeah no yeah that that's what i heard too this is um you know it, it evades any vaccine um that they have yeah uh, i know even, i know yeah. five people i don't know a handful of people right now who have caught it and i think omicron is the dominant variant in the area so i'm pretty sure what they're catching is omicron i don't know if they tell them hey you tested positive for delta or omicron or fucking whatever cron um but uh, all of the people I know of right now that have it are vaccinated. Um, so you're certainly catching it. None of them are very sick. So that's all promising. Um, you know, I'm yeah. no epidemiologist, but I'm fine with catching a cold. And uh, if that moves us all to the finish line quicker, fucking hell yeah. And natural immunity is more robust than anything that the vaccine can provide. Yeah. Because um, people that have caught COVID, uh, the alpha variant or the delta variant, um, they generally can't get COVID again, but just recently they did find out that even, even if you got natural immunity from alpha or Delta, that you, uh, you're, you're not protected from Omicron. So, and that's true for the vaccinated as well, but the vaccinated, like the unvaccinated, if you got alpha, you're not going to get Delta. Like you're, you're impervious to Delta, but if you're vaccinated, it's different, right? Omicron is different. Mm -hmm. So I know people, all of them, like I said, were vaccinated that I know of that have it. And uh, several of them 
are vaccinated and had COVID last summer, which was probably Delta. Yep. So mm-hmm. yeah, certainly having COVID already and being vaccinated is not going to prevent you from getting this new one. Um, and hopefully it's as non-aggressive as, as it appears to be. And I know, you know, some people are getting very sick and having to go to the hospital and all that, but still ultimately it seems to be much less of a killer than previous ones or whatever. So all that looks great. I hope that's the way it goes. Um, that, that to me is optimistic. Like, yeah, let's all just get a little bit sick and, uh, just fucking get past it a little bit quicker and not have to rely on vaccines. Like I chose to get vaccinated because I think it will, if I get it, I'll get less sick. And, uh, I think that's a good thing. Uh, but I certainly don't plan on continuing to get boosted for the rest of my life every three or six months. Um, at some point soon, we'll all just kind of get to a point of understanding this thing better, having better treatments if you do get sick, and we can all just rely on natural immunity on the long term. Um, you know, the same as like the Spanish flu. My understanding of that from what I read about the Spanish flu uh, pandemic is uh, it eventually mediated into a kind of a moderately aggressive form, and uh, we just live with it, you know. We are able to treat it if you get it, and... Uh, we all just go about our lives. Yeah, and I heard recently that uh, pandemics generally last about eighteen months. So, uh, oh, really? the The mm. Spanish flu, I think, lasted like three years, two and a half or three years. Um, but by that last, I think, third or fourth big wave, it was more moderate. Like it was less less virulent or less aggressive, whatever the right term is. It was less fucked up to get it at the in the uh, the end of the second or the third year, something yeah. like that. So about, yeah, all right, so that sounds about right. I mean, that means that maybe we're on the tail end. Maybe Delta was the gnarliest. Uh, I know a lot of people that caught Delta. I know a lot of people that got super fucked up from that one, a few that have died. Um, but uh, hopefully Omicron is way less gnarly. Yeah, see, they we've been neglecting early treatment as well. Um, and that's another thing that Peter McCullough said, is that he thinks that 85% of the deaths could have been prevented had By, early treatment protocols been implemented. Like like earlier care or better care or both or what's, what's a- that mean? Any, any kind of care even because what they were advocating is that if you test positive, go home and stay. And then if you can't breathe, then come to the hospital after day oh. seven. Oh, that, so they're testing positive. Hey, I'm really sick. I, I've got COVID. And they're like, yeah, well, go home until you are choking to death and then we'll treat you on yeah, a respirator. That, that is the official protocol. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Wow. That's the official. Okay. And, and then the official protocol is when you go into the hospital, you get um, uh, room desivere, which uh, in a South African study, 54% of the people that were on that had organ failure. And room desivere oh. actually, uh, what it does is it kills your kidneys. And then your body fills a fluid, and guess where the fluid goes? It goes in your lungs, and then they put you on a, on a uh, vent ventilator. So hmm. there, there's a lot of major criticism about how they're handling this. And then they're not allowing doctors, which doctors are, have always been the, the road out. Let individual doctors treat individual patients. You don't assign policy from a massive governmental organization and tell people yeah. how to treat patients. And that's what they're not allowing people to do. They're not allowing doctors to treat patients how they want to treat them. And wow. um, that's freaky because everything. Why? Because everything points to the vaccine. They will only, they only want that one narrative that everything points to that. 
And that's so there's in a nutshell the problem that I have with everything that's going on. Uh, no, that totally makes sense. And then I, 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 my, my snarky little thing there, too, is like, I mean, the vaccine is not preventing anyone from catching it. I mean, it was or giving it. it was yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, you're totally you still catch it. You still you still pass it along and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, oh, but you get less sick. And my whole reason for wanting to get vaccinated is purely if it benefits, if it can help my kids from not getting it even a little bit, I'm cool with it. Like, okay, so, uh, uh, you know what I mean? Like, if, if, if I'm less likely to catch it or transmit it at all, even 1% less likely, I'll get it to, to try not to pass it on to my kids. I don't care if I catch it. I'll be fine. Um, I just don't want my six-month-old to catch it, you know? And, yeah, uh, yeah. Apparently, the vaccine doesn't even accomplish that. So, all right, awesome. Yeah, and and, and it's <laughs> and it's new technology. Like I, I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, or anything. Uh-huh. It's amazing. Uh, but yeah, it's very new. Yeah. 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 It really is. So I don't know. I mean, it just. Uh, I don't know. I think we'll all pull out of this in a couple of years. It'll all just be crazy stories. But um, I'm also very trusting in the American people's requirement for freedom. And I think a lot of people are willing to give up their basic freedoms, but a lot of people just aren't willing to give up their basic freedoms. And I think those people that are not willing to give up their basic freedoms have always seen us through uh, to maintain the free country that we all uh, enjoy and most of us love and appreciate. Uh Um, So I'm confident in that element of the American population um, to where things like, uh, you know, the COVID camps or, you know, requiring a vaccine card to walk into a grocery store. I don't see that happening here, at least anytime soon, without a gigantic pushback. Um, so we'll see what happens there. But I even think, like, policymakers, like, like I'm no political uh, genius or anything, but you see someone like, like Joe Biden, who I think he would be much quicker to um, announce mask mandates or vaccination mandates. And I think I can see that being something they want to do, but realizing if they said that, that, uh, people would fucking go ape shit. And I think they're reluctant to take those steps here in America, where maybe other countries that are more authoritarian or for whatever reason, um, the people in control are more quick to announce those sort of, um, laws and, and, and enforcements, but here I think they are afraid to say those sorts of things because even things like mask mandates, like, hey, just wear a mask. We're not telling you to take a vaccine. We're just saying you have to wear a mask. People are like, fuck you. In a lot of ways, they're just not going to fucking do it. And they look at it as an infringement on their freedoms. And, you know, you might have an opinion on that one way or another, but I think that's um, emblematic of the American requirement for freedom and inflexibility on on freedom that makes lawmakers so reluctant to talk about mandates or talk about enforcement. Um, so I think that's a good thing, uh, you know, regardless of whether you think people should get vaccinated or not get vaccinated. Uh, I think vaccine mandates are 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 gaining less of a foothold in the states uh, because of because of pushback. I hope so, because the narrative is that we'll all get through this if everybody gets vaccinated. Yeah, so, no, and that seems yeah. like nonsense. Yeah. Uh, well, I, and I'm on the board of vaccine of vaccines. I, I do think, 
for me personally, I, that's what I chose to do. But I don't think that, oh, if everybody gets vaccinated, we'll be through this. I think this thing is going to run its course regardless of whether or not we're vaccinated. Yeah, and, and if you follow that narrative, okay, we'll all get back to normal if you force everybody to get vaccinated. Because there's a lot of people that want to force people to do that, right? Oh, uh, yeah. So you're, you're talking about 117 million people. That's the official number. I think it's much larger than that because I think they lie about it. But uh, you're, you're going to, do you think you're going to get back to normal by forcing 117 million people to get a mandatory uh, uh, medical procedure that, that they don't want? Um, that sounds like a horrible idea because that sounds like yeah. civil war to me. That doesn't sound like getting back to normal. Like if you want to get back to normal, go live your life back to normal. Or don't mm -hmm. if you don't want to. You're free to do the either of them. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's normal. Yeah. 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 Normal is not the government telling me that. Uh, oh, we need to inject you with this every six months. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I just got to a point where I'm just done being scared. And um, yeah, I'm, yeah. I, I look at the numbers and and the percentage of the uh, the likelihood of death is is akin to flu. And I feel like I, I have all the early treatment protocols that, that I need that I've kind of gotten in one way or another. And um, I feel safe. I feel good where I'm at. Um, so I, I just, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just done being scared. I'm just yeah. done. You know, you're more likely to probably still to die on a freeway than you are, than anything or getting even probably struck by lightning at this point. Yeah, so, I find myself yeah. coming back to that analogy a lot. And I don't know what the actual numbers are, but but theoretically, that's that's something that I try to keep in mind all the time is I find myself explaining my position or reasons for doing or not doing certain things because I'm surrounded by people who feel differently and do or do not do different things, you know, yeah. and uh, I am annoyed by having to explain it but you fi inevitably find yourself having to explain your own thoughts or positions on these sorts of things uh because your own medical choices are now everybody's fucking business um and uh i find myself coming back to all the all the time is we all need to um choose to live with certain acceptable levels of risk because that's the way we all live all the time anyway Walking yeah. out your front door has a risk. Driving on a freeway has a risk. Getting onto an airplane or a train or a boat all has a risk. And you choose to do all these things based on the uh, the enjoyment factor. Like, I choose to uh, experience this element of life, and I choose to accept the risk associated with it. Now let's go skiing. Um, we do that all the time anyway. And this is just another one of those things where it's like, okay, uh, the... The, the likelihood of it being contracted in the area and time I am existing in right now is X. And the likelihood of if we contract this thing uh, causing us to die or go to the hospital is X. Now, with all of those factors uh, combined, do we all want to get together and, you know, fucking uh, have a potluck? I don't know. I mean, those are all different questions for different times. I think a few weeks ago in the area I live in, uh, the answer was, yeah, things are getting back to normal. It's not spreading like wildfire right now. And we were getting normal. We were getting together with people. We were doing normal things. And then all of a sudden, within just a matter of a couple of weeks, fuck, loads of people were coming down with this thing over the last few weeks. A few of them were super, super sick. Most of them were just kind of sick. Uh, and we just decided to kind of like scale back a little bit very recently, just like, yeah, it's spreading like wildfire right now. I don't think we're going to be getting together as much or as freely as we were a couple of weeks ago. And I think it's going to sweep through our area 
And then we'll be able to kind of start getting together and be a little bit more normal-ish again. And we're kind of riding those waves and making decisions um, here and there instead of just blanket statements of things we will and will not do. We're just kind of like, yeah, we're going to lay low right now. It's fucking going everywhere. Everyone I know right now is catching it. I'd rather, I'd rather, I'd rather not, you know, if I can avoid it, I'd rather not. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, you want to be, uh, well supplied in vitamin D. Um, okay. Anybody over, uh, I think it's like 85 nanograms of vitamin D has never died from it. Um, now that's, is that causation or, um, correlation, you know? I don't know, but definitely over like 50 nanograms of uh, vitamin D in your blood. So you you probably want to take about 4,000 IUs of, of vitamin D a day. Um, and you're going to, you'll probably be, you, you're going to be okay. Um, there's also some things that can help stop viral replication. Uh, this thing, it does, it replicates in the nose and the mouth area. So you want to get a, a mouthwash that will stop the viral replication and you want to get a nose spray that um, when you go out to public, you know, just take the nose spray afterwards and just uh, put it up your nose. And, you know, because th that's part of the early treatment. If you could stop the viral replication before you actually get sick, you're going to be much less sick. If you have vitamin D, uh, high levels of vitamin D in your body and, and your whole family, I think, should take it. You're going to be much less sick. Uh, these are things that you're not being told which is, hmm. those are things that, that really bug me as well. And things that we're not told. Um, but th those two are, are big key factors. Another thing is called NAC. Uh, it's a supplement that boosts your immune system to a high level degree. Uh, it's used in kind of a late, even the late stage COVID uh, cases, it's used there because it, um, it uh, makes your phlegm and, uh, much less mucusy and more watery. Uh, and, um, there's other stuff it does too, but hmm. yeah, there, there's a bunch of supplements that you, you probably, you know, it wouldn't so hurt like taking the, the nose spray. There's anti like bacterial nose spray. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Huh. I mean, e even, even if you were to, uh, put a 3%, um, hydrogen peroxide and mix it with like, uh, um, maybe one to 10 parts of water and spray that up your nose right there, you're done. Uh, and you just get it down to the back of your throat, get it, and then God, um, that sounds spit like it out. burn like a motherfucker. I don't think hydrogen peroxide will will burn, uh, but no. there there's some ones that you could buy over the counter um, right. that also are really good. I think I do. I have it up on my browser right now. Hmm. No, I don't. And mouth mouthwash, um, huh? Like the some scope, the antibacterial scope or something. No, there's some specific things. If you look up FLCCC, Frontline Critical Care Consortium, they are the people that uh, have put down the early treatment protocols for COVID, which, and they're completely ousted by anybody uh, in the media or the CDC or the FDA. They, they hate them, basically, uh, because they, they want everything to lead to the vaccine. They don't want any kind of early treatment for any of this stuff. But if you look up FLCCC, early treatment protocol, you'll see everything that they say. And they give uh, examples for mouthwash. I, I bought like a six pack of the mouthwash, which is like Crest, and it contains something in there that I don't, I don't recognize. I've never used before, but I bought a bunch of it. So anytime any of us get sick, we use that. I got the, the nasal spray. Um, if we go out, I just will put the nasal spray, or if I feel like I'm coming down with something, I'll use a nasal spray. Um, I, I have hydroxychloroquine as well, which uh, is uh, a, a zinc, Ionosphore, 
which zinc will inject zinc into your cells to help stop viral replication. Another thing that they don't want you to do or they don't want you to think that works. Uh, same thing with ivermectin. Um, black cumin seeds as well, I just found out, is another zinc ionosphore. So along with quercetin is a zinc ionosphore. And, you know, taking uh, uh, once in a while taking some pills of zinc, but you have to balance it out with copper because if you take too much zinc, it'll deplete your copper. I mean, there, there's a whole bunch of things you can do that you'll be fine with. And, you know, listen to Dr. Peter McCullough because he gives that early treatment protocol. He literally thinks that he could, that 85% of the deaths could have been prevented. Wow. But they don't want that. There's a battle. Why is he, why did he get sniped at? Why did somebody shoot at him? Uh, because they don't want this early treatment protocol to become popular. They want to flan, fan the flames of fear because fear is how you control a population. Yeah. 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 Wow, crazy. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, I'm going to have to look more into some of those things and maybe stock up on some of those because I'm all about that kind of shit. Um, and, uh, uh, huh. I'll send you a list if you want. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you get around to it. Sure. All right. Well, we got to run, right? You got a workout scheduled? Yeah. I got a workout. Now. How does that work, by the way? Do you go to a gym? And I'm like, because your trainer is in California and you're in Tennessee. Do you go to a gym or do you work out at home or how does this work? Yeah. Just virtually. Uh, over FaceTime. Like on your phone? Mm-hmm, on my phone. So while you're at the gym, he's on your phone screaming at you. Um, well, I'm in, in my man cave here. And then oh, he you just work out tra- at home? Yeah, I work out at home. Uh-huh. Oh, nice. All right. Yep, yep. Do you have weights and equipment, or is it mostly body weight shit, or what are you working out with? Yeah, I got weights. I uh, I only have 15-pounders, but um, I'll tell you what, though. He gets me to doing dips and push-ups and so much stuff that I just uh, I get pretty bulked up. Do you uh, do you have a dip bar or rack or whatever, or what are you doing dips on? Uh, I'm just using a um, an ottoman that I have. I just lean nice. over the side of it and I just do dips on that. Yeah. Okay. No, nice. he, he he is able to use like so many different little tools here and there. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty amazing. Expensive workout equipment is not necessary. No, it's not. Weights are great. That's that's yep. all you really need, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have, I have a basic set of dumbbells and and uh, I work out at home and. I have bought some things that you just don't need and uh, end up giving them away to neighbors or whatever. And, and uh, you can keep a gym pretty damn simple and be able to do a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Resistance bands is a good thing too. Yeah. There. I got some bands too. I like bands. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll let you go freaking yoke up and uh, have a great workout. And this is fun. I feel yeah. like we got really sciencey um, for a day. I feel pretty stupid, but uh I feel like some of it penetrated my fog of of uh, of thought, so that's good. Well, I'll send you a video on the double slit experiment too. That'll clear it up, I think. All right, all right. You have to check that one out and uh, shoot me a list of your uh, early treatment things, and maybe have to go buy some mouthwash and nasal spray. Absolutely, bro. All right, man. Well, great talking to you. Great, you, you had too. a great Christmas, and uh, we will get together and do another freaking uh, another chat here real soon. Sounds good, bro. All right, man. Have a good one. All right, all right you too, bro. <laughs> Hey, this is Mike. Thanks a lot for listening. We really hope you're enjoying the show. We have a great time doing it for you. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at Derek and Mike Pod or on our website, DerekandMike.com. And uh, don't forget to subscribe or follow the show in your podcast app. That would be super cool. Helps us out a ton. And it also makes sure that you get notified every time we put out a new episode. Also, if you know of anyone else who might like the show, 
Share it with a friend. Tell someone who might dig it. That would be super cool. We'd really appreciate any support you can give us. Uh, We really appreciate you, and we can't wait to talk to you next time. And until then, have a good one.